Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 263. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. And welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I am also joined by one of the marvelous members of the Blueprint Live Online team. If you are interested in getting some help with your MCAT prep, Go sign up for a free account over at blueprintmcat.com to get started to see what sort of resources Blueprint MCAT has for you, including their live online course. The live online course is 16 weeks of scheduled, structured instruction on top of the amazing content that the Blueprint team has created for you. The courses, the classes, the live classes with two instructors will help you integrate all of that information into taking the MCAT because the MCAT is more than just content. It's also how to integrate that content into how the MCAT is asking you questions. Go check it out, blueprintmcat.com. Let's go and jump into our session today where we're continuing our breakdown of the Blueprint Diagnostic Exam, which you do get for free when you sign up for that free account at blueprintmcat.com. And we're in our ChemPhys Discrete One. Alex, back for some more MCAT podcast. How are you doing, my friend? Hello, hello. Ready to dive into some discreet questions. <sighs> discreet, discreet. So we are covering the diagnostic from Blueprint MCAT, which everyone gets for free at blueprintmcat.com. I repeat, blueprintmcat.com. Free, so many free things. That's the one thing uh, I always mention. I, I love Blueprint uh, MCAT because they have a similar kind of philosophy in terms of like free stuff for students. I'm going to provide value for you. And I know a lot of you aren't actually ever going to spend money with me. That's okay. As long as I'm helping you. And so we do this podcast they have, uh, with their free account, the study planner tool, the flashcards, uh, the half length diagnostic, the full length test. So, so many amazing things. I, used this i used this very podcast i used the uh, the full length 10 run through from ages ago my i think you were working through it while i was studying for my MCAT, <laughs> and i listened to every episode wow it's a full circle and look at you now so basically what you're saying is you owe all of your success to me i think if you listen to every episode of the mcat podcast you are statistically in a bucket in which very good MCAT scores are highly overrepresented. There we go. There we go. You heard it here first, folks. Alex owes me a quarter of his salary for the rest of his life in perpetuity. <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, an, an MCAT tithe. 
<laughs> we um, we're in the the half length diagnostic again, covering. Uh, we just uh, have done the first two passages, and now already on to the uh, discrete questions. The first discrete set here. So let's go and dive in here. I'll read question eleven. Which of the following explains why the pitch of persons pitch of persons resonant voice harmonics? Seems like it's missing an A in there. Pitch of a person's resonant voice. Harmonics rises when they inhale helium instead of air. A, the wavelength increases due to the change in temperature from the helium atoms. B, the change in timber results in a higher perceived frequency of the voice. C, the frequency decreases due to the change in air density from helium atoms. Or D, the speed of sound wave sound wave remains constant regardless of changes to the medium through which the sound wave propagates. So I've, I've done questions, so I'm cheating a little bit, I think, potentially, uh, because I've done some sound wave questions before here on the MCAT podcast. And I want to say that the sound wave remains constant. I think this is a tricky-ish question because we want to go, oh, helium, there's there's air density changes in helium. I'm going to pick C and move on. But I think I'd be wrong because I think the frequency increases. Um, so I'm going to pick D just because I think I'm getting tricked here. So <laughs> this is a this question illustrates a really great kind of strategic point on the MCAT, which is to say that right answers for these kinds of questions, they need to be right. For the right they also reason. Need to, they also need to answer the question. Yeah. And I think I think of this, I put this question in the bucket of it bamboozles people with fancy words. Oh. But when you look at them, only one of them actually relates to the question being asked. Mm. And the question is asking... Why does the pitch of someone's voice rise, right? Why does their voice sound higher? Aha. Uh -huh. And if we read A, B, C, D, only one of these actually relates what's, you know, actually relates at all to the pitch or the frequency of someone's voice, yeah. which is B. Which is B. A change in timber results in a higher perceived frequency of the voice. Like this is a lot of like, you know, fancy words. But if we were to rephrase that, it's effectively saying their voice sounds higher. Yeah. Like kind of B is practically saying, you know, <laughs> the like the higher frequency makes it sound higher. And the question is saying, why does their voice sound higher? <laughs> Darn it. All right. If we if we look at D, the speed of the sound wave remains constant um this doesn't quite relate to the frequency of the person's voice but at any rate it's it's actually not true anyway okay. the um the speed of a sound wave varies depending on the medium it's it's why um you know it's why for example have you, have you ever heard like oh like sound travels four or five times as fast underwater as it does in air uh yes I have. Um, okay. Yeah. Different materials, depending on a bunch of factors, uh, their density, something called the bulk modulus, their temperature, uh, all of those will affect how quickly sound waves will propagate through them. Okay. 
And it's why something like air has a relatively slow speed of sound, while something like diamond has an incredibly fast speed of sound. Okay. What about a vacuum? Of course, sound is the propagation of vibrations through <laughs> atoms. Yeah. So if there are no atoms, there's no sound. No sound. So when I'm floating out in space all alone, <laughs> nobody will hear me. <sighs> all right. Going to question 12. Go ahead. The figure below shows the pressure and volume changes of the left ventricle during the cardiac cycle for two different patients. Which of the following is true? I mean, Ryan, you're the medical doctor here. <laughs> I know. I'm like, shoot, I better, I better get this one right. Uh, okay, some, some physiology stuff. Uh, go ahead and read the answer choices. Yeah, so we have which of the following is true? A, we have the change in systolic pressure in patient one is greater. B, the change in diastolic pressure in patient one is greater. C, the work done by patient two's left ventricle is greater. And D, the work done by patient one's left ventricle is greater. So we're looking at um, relatively same relaxation time, contraction time. The difference is an increased filling time and an increased ejection time. This, the, so answer choice A, the change in systolic pressure is greater in patient one. The change in systolic pressure. Change from what? I am, I'm confused. The, the change from what? So the figure shown below shows the pressure and volume changes. So pressure, da, 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 da. all right. Okay. I, I would I would I would choose to interpret this as the change in pressure during systole. Yeah. So looking at left ventricular pressure. I said right at the beginning the relaxation con contraction stuff those look relatively the same. Relatively. <laughs> so I'm going to ignore A and B because the, the pressure stuff to me on both the, the relaxation side, which is diastolic, uh, and contraction side, was, which is systolic, I'm going to leave those out because they look almost identical uh, perception-wise. The, the graph is drawing us to the longer filling cycle, um, which increases the volume and the bigger ejection. So I'm gonna go with C and D. C, the work done by patients two, by patient two's left ventricle is greater. So the work done, how much work is done? How much blood is being pumped out? Theoretically, if I have a longer filling cycle, my volume increases, I'm doing more work. Patient two, is that, and I'm gonna go with that without even looking at D. Exactly right. Woohoo! The doctors, doctors still got it. 
I, I would I would quibble with your explanation slightly. Uh, you say longer filling time. The axes on these graph is volume and pressure. Yeah. We don't necessarily know anything about the filling time. I don't know. Maybe patient two is like working out so like the flow rate. <laughs> that I don't know. True. Maybe 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 the filling's happening kind of just faster. Oh, yeah. you know, or maybe it's happening at the same rate, but just at a higher like volume flow rate. That's but, true. I, I added time, but that's not relevant at all because it's not on the graph. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, absolutely. The work done by patients left ventricle is great. Absolutely. I mean, if they're, if the relative pressures are the same, but it's moving more blood, then it's doing yep. more work. So, so here's an interesting thing. I was confused at the very beginning when I was reading the change in systolic pressure in patient one is greater. I didn't know what it was talking about because I didn't read the, the X and Y, um, like graph, what, what the X and Y titles were. Oh, imp always, imp <laughs> always important. I was just, I was just looking at the box with the heart and the, the arrows. I didn't actually look at uh, how they were labeled. So uh, once I realized that, then I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> exactly, and I and I think what's helpful here is that you know even if you're not sure, like, oh, which one's systolic or which one's diastolic. Well, if we look at the axes that's marked pressure. But I would just say, well, it looks like the values are pretty comparable for both. I mean, it seems yeah. like they both kind of rise to the same height and sink to the same depth. Yeah. I, I was starting to get a little worried because I was nitpicking. I'm like, oh, I can actually compare the reflection, the E. It's actually above the E there. But on this one, it's kind of middle E. I'm like, oh, they're going to get us, aren't they? Uh, but they they didn't, <laughs> and that's a and that's a great point. I think often people approach the MCAT and think to themselves, like I think this often comes up in like biochemical techniques where you know they're looking at a Western blot on the MCAT and they're saying and you know and they think to themselves, you know, well, I think I've I've had students before who are very worried about the fact that you know what if I get a Western blot on test day and you know I have. 35 minutes left in the bio biochem section <laughs> and i'm there squinting at a black and white scan of a western blot thinking to myself is that a line or am i just imagining it yeah right is that line any darker or, you know, or is it the same and i think it's always worth noting that this is a standardized test the amc kind of just for the integrity of this test needs to have answer choices which are clear and unarguable yeah. so stuff like you know stuff like this like is the ejections <laughs> you know, is the ejection slightly higher on the right if i squint and pull out a ruler if you find yourself asking that sort of question the answer is no because then it's become debatable or it's become unclear and that's not what the amc wants yeah i think of this as um the moment you feel your brain contorting into gymnastics, you're probably not going down the right path. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. No contortionism here, whatever that word is. All right. Question 13. In the figure below, the black line represents an enzyme catalyzed reaction. And the gray line represents that same reaction after adding 0.05 millimolars of factor X. Factor X can best be described as A, a non-competitive inhibitor, B, an allosteric 
activator, C, a competitive inhibitor, or D, a chelating agent. So we have uh, figure below the black line. Um, so I, I would argue that blueprint needs to change from the black line and the gray line to the solid line and the dotted line because these lines are pretty darn close in color to me. Um, uh, I'm assuming this this top line is the the black line. So enzyme catalyzed reaction. The gray line represents some reaction after adding the uh, factor X. And so we get to the same point, um, but it's, it takes a little slow. It just changes, changes the curve. It looks like we get there at the same point. Um, Non-competitive inhibitor. Mm, I would cross that out because it's obviously competing for something because it's slowing the reaction down. I think. Uh, an allosteric activator. I don't necessarily knows what that means. Uh, a competitive inhibitor, potentially, right? It looks like maybe competing because it's going slower, differently, something. Uh, or a chelating agent. Uh, I'm just going to say, because it looks like it's going slower to me, I'm going to say competitive inhibitor and move on because I'm not really sure what the other words mean. Great strategy, which is to say if you're not sure what the words mean you know pick and there's one that seems pretty good for you don't waste loads of time like puzzling it out even more particularly for, for a question like this which is this is effectively a uh i think the, the amc calls it like a skill one question which is to say do you know scientific principles i think of skill ones as like effectively fancy flashcard questions <laughs> do you know the definition of this term and yeah. you know can you apply it in a context that is probably very similar to how you learned it in the first place um uh c is the correct answer well done and <sighs> yeah <clears throat> i highly recommend flashcards so this is an uh this is an enzyme kinetics question uh, and there are lots of kinds of enzyme kinetics and inhibition. In this case, um, there are kind of two quantities that we want to pay attention to when we look at uh, a enzyme activity versus concentration graph. And in this case, the concentration of the substrate is on the x-axis, uh, and the uh, and like the it's called like the and the um, kind of activity of the enzyme is on the y-axis. In this case, the black line is you know, represents it by itself, and the kind of maximum value, what you described as it kind of gets to the same place in the end, like kind of the maximum number of reactions that this enzyme is catalyzing per second, this quantity is often described as Vmax. So this <clears> is one of the quantities that we want to be aware of. The second quantity is called Km. Uh, which is defined as the substrate concentration required for this enzyme to achieve half of its Vmax, that is to say, to get to kind of half of its maximum activity. Um, in this case, all of the different inhibitor types for enzymes will affect these two quantities in different ways, depending on how they work. So A, a non-competitive inhib inhibitor, uh, this would lower the Vmax, so it would lower the kind of maximum number of reactions per second that this enzyme can catalyze, uh, but it wouldn't affect the Km at all. Uh, Non-competitive inhibitors bind an enzyme at a site which isn't its active site. Yeah. Um, 
allosteric activator, I mean, if it's an activator, it would increase the enzyme's activity. And we can see here the gray line, it's kind of lagging below the kind of normal enzyme line. So this, you know, the gray line is definitely an inhibitor of some description. Mm -hmm. So we have C, a competitive inhibitor. This binds the enzyme at the active site and a kind of classic feature of competitive inhibitors. I like to think of them as kind of if you add enough substrate, you can eventually get the enzyme to where it would have been normally anyway, which is what's happening here. A competitive inhibitor increases the KM because, of course, the KM is the concentration required to get to half of its activity. Yep. So if you in partially inhibit it, you need a higher concentration to get that same level of activity. Yeah. Uh, but it leaves the Vmax unchanged because if you just drown the enzyme in its substrate, it'll get up, it'll get up to its original activity level eventually. Awesome. Chelating agent, irre irrelevant in this case, a chelating agent binds metal ions. And I mean, maybe a chelating agent would affect an enzyme this way if it was dependent on metal ions in some way, but we're not given any sort of reason to expect that. Okay. All right, so there you have it. Blueprint Diagnostic Chemphys Discrete Passage 1 or Section 1 Discrete Set 1 for that uh, diagnostic exam. Again, you get the diagnostic exam for free by going to blueprintmcat.com and signing up for that free account. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.